Hey, we're going to go through Romans chapter 6, and Paul really speaks to some really rich things. As I was studying this passage, here's part of my fear, specifically for American Christianity, if I'm being honest. I think American Christianity has made it too easy for people to call themselves Christians and never follow Christ. We've made it way too easy for people to raise their hands, say a prayer, walk in the aisle, but never be transformed. Now, you know my heart. I'm all about that and all about evangelism. But the true test of a changed life is the fruit that it produces after it walks the aisle. So my greatest fear is that even in this room today, if Matthew chapter 7 verse 23 is true, that Christ says one day he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Which means there will be some that are deceived who call themselves Christians but aren't actually part of the body of Christ. And see, there is a sense of true freedom. Hear me clearly. A sense of true freedom to know that you are part of the body of Christ. To know that you are truly forgiven of your past, present, and future. There is freedom in that. Now Paul in Romans chapter 6 is is really reacting to something he said in Romans chapter 5, verse 20 and 21. I want you to listen to this. He says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So let me paint this beautiful picture of these two verses. Here's what Paul is saying. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the more you sin, the more grace is given to you. Now, picture this. Beautiful picture. You can take all your sins and you can take everything you've ever done if you're a Christian. You can take everything you think you will do in the future. You could be an adulterer. You could be a murderer. You can be all these things. And when you're in Christ, here's what he is saying. Picture you being at the beach, getting handfuls of sand. Sand represents your sin and throwing it into the ocean. Grace represents the ocean. And what he is saying is, listen, there is way more grace that Christ has to give you than you can sin. That is fantastic news, that the more you sin, the more grace covers sin. Now, the legalists in here are very frustrated by that statement, because you're thinking, no, give it to them. Now, you're not wrong, because the reason why Paul responds in Romans chapter 6 the way he responds is because there's something called antinomianism. Anti means to be against, nomian means law. It was an ancient word they used to use for the word law. So what people used to think was, if this is true, Paul, we can just go ahead and sin like crazy if we're going to be forgiven, right? What does it matter? Let's just keep sinning. Is that what you're saying, Paul? So Paul is speaking against antinomianism. By the way, when Paul begins to say what he's about to say, he is not preaching sinless perfection. Listen to what he says. So with that concept of mind, people were saying, hey, if God's going to forgive everything, I'm a Christian, YOLO. Let's just live it up. What does it even matter if we're going to be forgiven? Now, here's the scary thing. People actually live that way. 
What I think it does, it really cheapens the cross of Christ and it cheapens grace. I call that cheap grace. And when somebody lives that way, let me just tell you, you do not understand the power of sin when you live that way. Listen to what Paul says to that. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And this is a rhetorical question. And then he says this in verse 2. By no means, don't keep sinning just because you'll keep being forgiven. It's like the child who lives in a home and says, I can do what I want. My parents are not going to kick me out. I'm only five. <laughs> yes, we've had that discussion in my household. But here's the truth. As a loving father, do I know my child is going to keep sinning? Yes. Three out of four of my children will not stop sinning, I promise you. But as a father, what does a good father do? It disciplines in order to correct. Sometimes the grace is found in discipline. See, we don't want that to happen sometimes. We want the easy, quick fruit. But there is grace that's found in discipline. So what he is saying is, no, we don't just keep sinning. Because there's a discipline and consequences attached to our actions. He's saying, don't keep sinning. In fact, listen to what he says next. How can we, who died to sin, we know the audience, he's speaking to Christians. How can we, who died to sin? So what does it mean to die to sin? Because the reality is you may hear that and think, well, I'm a Christian and I keep sinning. Anybody here like that? If you didn't raise your hand, you're lying, so that means you're a sinner. So you just joined everybody else. <laughs> like we're all, let's just be honest. We're all broken people. It doesn't matter how much you have in your bank account. It doesn't matter how successful you've been. You are not whole and complete. We must understand that. Your, your flesh, the unredeemed flesh, still craves sin. But there's a beautiful picture here that he speaks to. He says, how can we who died to sin? What does that mean? Do you know what that means? Let me give you an example. The Noe Garcia, before I got saved, who was living in gang activity, who was living in sexual morality, who was a liar, who was a thief, who was a horrible, horrible person. Because I lived that kind of life without being forgiven by God, I had a full scholarship straight to hell with room and board included. Do you understand what I'm saying? I don't want that guy to live again. I don't want him to be resurrected. I don't want that guy around. I want him dead and I want him to stay dead. So what Paul is saying is, listen, that Noe Garcia had a full ride straight to hell because of the way he was living without Christ. So here's what he's saying. That Noe is dead. Praise God, the power and rule over sin over that Noe can no longer be resurrected. He cannot be resurrected. So here is the great news. If you're a Christian, the old you is completely dead. Now, I know you're saying there's residue and some of your spouses are like, hey, pastor, I got something to tell you about my spouse. They're not dead yet. No, no, no. Their, their old nature is dead. It's It's dead. So what Paul is saying is it doesn't have the same power as it once did. So here's what he says. So how can you live in it? How can you, as a Christian, your old nature is dead, which means, here's what it means. 
before sin lived in your house. It was a resident. As a Christian, here's the honest reality. Some of you won't like this unless you believe in sinless perfection. Um, Now, sin should no longer be a resident in your household. It'll probably, unfortunately, be a guest. Can we be honest? But here is the problem, and I'll speak specifically to some of our households. We don't understand why we keep getting the same results that we keep getting whenever we are allowing sin to live in the house. Some of us have invited as a guest, and now it's taken up residency in your household. And there's, there's remnants all over your house from it. The way you talk, the way you live, the way you act, what you watch when nobody's looking. There are remnants of sin all over your household. And so here's what Paul is saying. Stop living in it. Kick it out of your house. You have the authority to call it by name, to confess, to repent, and get it out of your house. It can no longer be a resident. The thing that's keeping you from your spouse, stop it. The thing that's keeping you from being a godly parent, stop it. The thing that's keeping you from being a good church member, stop it. You're a Christian. You're not supposed to live there. That's what he's saying. I know it's not very popular, but he's saying stop letting the guests. Can you imagine we have a visitor come over and the guests just never left? My wife's going to be like, hey, when, is, when are they getting off the couch? I don't know, babe. You talk to them about it. But really, like, stop live, letting it live in your house. And Paul is saying, listen, if you're a Christian living in Christ, that old you is dead. Yes, it wants to be resurrected, but the old nature is completely dead. Praise God. So stop living as if it's still alive. Then he says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Uh, it's a beautiful picture. Look at, look at what he's about to say here. We were baptized into his death. When you accepted Christ, when did your old sin nature die? Not in that moment. Your old sin was defeated on the cross of Christ. When you accept Christ, sin wasn't just defeated. Sin had already been defeated. So what he is saying is when you accept Christ, when you come to live and walk with Christ, what he is saying is you have been put into his death, meaning that your old nature is with Christ, so the old nature can no longer send you to hell. The old nature will be resurrected with Christ. And that is great news. So you have been baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into his death. Death. By the way, if you've never been baptized... This is why it's really, this baptism is the first step of obedience. This is one of our doctrinal beliefs of why we don't sprinkle. Number one, we don't believe sprinkling an infant is going to save that infant. The infant still has to, at some point, when they grow older, make a conscious decision to follow Christ. Now, the baptism comes after that decision because of what it's displaying. Now, here's what baptism is displaying. You see people when they're, they're up. When we dip them into the water, that word baptizo is, is in Greek. It means to immerse. This is why we pull that word out of Scripture because this word means to immerse. We pull it out of Scripture and we immerse people when they get baptized because the picture is here is the old nature. You are buried with Christ. The old nature is dead. And so when you come back up, that old nature never resurrects. That's the picture. The water doesn't save you. But that, this is the picture of water baptism. This is what it's painting for everybody. So if you've never been baptized, yet you're saying you're a Christian, baptism is really the first step of obedience. So 
If baptism is a step of obedience, to not be baptized is to live in what? Disobedience. I'm not trying to pressure anybody, but this is why it's so important, right? So he says then here, so we're baptized into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we might too walk in newness of life. Okay, what is the picture that we see here? Jesus died on the cross. When you accept Christ, your old nature that was sending you straight to hell died with him. So we were buried with him. And he's saying we will resurrect with him to have newness of life. What is newness of life speaking of? I love this. This is speaking of regeneration. This is what Paul is speaking about. This word regeneration, all it means is new birth. So picture this. When when you give your life to Christ, there's a newness of life that takes place, which is called regeneration. The very first step, the very first thing that happens is that you are given new life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. The old is gone, the new has come. You are a new creation. A new creation. A new creation. Do you understand what I'm saying? You are no longer the same way. So what this scripture is telling us is regeneration happens. There's a new birth. So now you become a spiritual baby, fresh and clean in the eyes of God, right? It's, it's like, it's, bless you, um, it's like there's a story of Augustine where Augustine used to be very sexually immoral and he was, he was sleeping around with, with tons of ladies. Then he became a Christian. And the way the story goes is that a lady saw him uh, in the community and say, Augustine, is that you? He says, yes, but it's not I. It ain't the same guy you think it is. I'm a new guy. That, that is the picture here. It's a whole new nature. So we now look at the very first step, which is regeneration, which is new life and new birth. Now, here's what he says. For if we have been united with Christ, with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him with him in a resurrection. I want you to pay very close attention to the wording that Paul used. If we have been, it means that it happened, right? We all agree with that? This already happened once you're a Christian, okay? We shall certainly be, this hasn't happened. Make sense? Okay. United with Christ in death, we shall certainly be united with him in resurrection like his We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. You are free, no longer a slave to sin, and no longer defines you is what he is saying. What is he saying here? This whole passage is a picture of justification. That word justification, all it means is just as if you have never sinned. I want you to take a moment and listen to this beautiful picture that takes place. When you look a little deeper into these two words, anytime uh, any writer of the Bible uses a certain phrase or certain word several times, I urge you to pause and dissect that word and see what point he's trying to get across. So we're going to stop and look at this word united. He uses it twice. So what does it mean to be united with him? This word uh, in the Greek, it means to graft. If you've ever grafted anything before, um, for example, my wife has had about eight knee surgeries. And they had to, uh, most recently, about six months ago, um, give her a cadaver in her knee. 
So what does that mean? They take a deceased person's, a piece of their body, put it with her living body so that it can continue to grow on each other. Get that picture? So the picture here that Paul is saying is we have been grafted with Christ. What does that mean? Christ is the one who is living. We were dead in our sin. When we came to Christ, we were then grafted with Christ, which means what was once dead now has life because we are grafted with Christ. We are with Christ so that when the the, the Father looks at you, he sees the Son because you have been grafted with the Son. When you are grafted with the Son, you should naturally begin to look like, walk like, and talk like the Son. That's a byproduct of being grafted with the Son. So this word united means to be grafted. So when you are united with Christ, what a beautiful thing. Think about the things that you have done. Think about how you think, how you talk, all that ugly stuff. And yet God saw you dead where you were, raised you up, and united you with him. That's unbelievable. That Christ will look at poor dead us and want us and unite us with him. Now, because of that, there's regeneration. You're giving new birth. You're grafted with Christ. Now there's justification, which means when God looks at you, you are justified. He looks at you just as if you have never sinned. When God looks at me today at 35 years old, he doesn't see the 18-year-old punk on drugs who is part of gangs, who is making poor decisions. When he looks at me today, he doesn't even see that I'm Hispanic. He didn't see anything like that. What he sees is his son who has died on the cross for me. That's what he sees, a perfect vessel because of his son. That is the picture of this grafting, of justification, just as if you have never sinned. Now, look what happens. By the way, I know this isn't fun for some of us. You'd rather be much just preach and go crazy and wild. You need this. You need this bread. You don't need a cupcake right now, all right? You need to know. No, I mean it. You need to know what happens at salvation. You don't need a five-point sermon cookbook to make you feel good and leave. You need to know what God has actually done for us, and it should change who we are, okay? So here's what happens next. So you see the regeneration, justification. Now, I'm tired. It's a lot of information from the regeneration, justification. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God, alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, here's the picture. Regeneration means you're born again. That's the very first step. You're a new birth, a new life, a new nature. The old nature is dead. You're going to keep sinning because you still live in the unredeemed flesh. Justification, once there's been regeneration, is that God now looks at you through the blood of his son and you are forgiven, just as if you've never sinned. Then there's going to be glorification, which is not yet. That is when we are going to be resurrected and glorified. That's glorification. That has not happened. If it's happened to someone in their seat, please let the authorities know. But that should not have happened, okay? Then comes the sanctification. 
See, here's the thing about sanctification. What does sanctification mean? To sanctify means to set something apart. All throughout the Old Testament, God tells prophets, he tells different people, to sanctify yourself, consecrate yourself, set, set yourself apart, which means they have a role to play in sanctification. Do you understand what I'm saying? You have a role to play in sanctification. What is sanctification? It's to be set apart. Actually, here's the exact Greek word. It's to be set apart for its original intent and purposes. So what God wants to do once you're regenerated, once you're justified, he wants to sanctify you. He doesn't want to sanctify you so you can be a better version of the old you. No, that one is dead. He wants to sanctify you to restore the image and likeness of what we lost in Genesis chapter 3. He doesn't want you to look like you. He wants you to look like him. So a sanctification process takes place. This is not fun. Let me just be honest. This stinks and it's hard. Last night, my three-year-old girl, Hallie, came in about midnight. Honey, is that right? And we hear, my stomach hurts. Parents, you know what that means. We know what comes next. And then we hear, I'm sorry, I ate a piece of cheese. Well, she knows she can't have, like, dairy. She's extremely allergic, extremely allergic to dairy. And then just comes a buffet of food right after that, right about midnight. Now, in that moment, you know, the the Lord begins to work on some things, right? (laughs) What naturally happens, if you're married, you'll get this. You'll lean over. It's your turn. No, it's your turn. No, I did the last one. No, I did the last one. And we'll begin that process. And then naturally, in the middle of the night, what's that? It was my turn. May the Lord keep you and bless you. Hallelujah. (laughs) And uh, just get a little more transparent. So it was my turn. And so I I attempted at the turn. Yes, I did attempt. I attempted at the turn. I I have the mic, so it's my story. I'm the narrative right now. And uh, (laughs) I have horrible gag reflexes. Horrible. And so just thinking about it, I was like, oh, oh, I can't. And she had me tie a shirt around my face. It just didn't work out. And I said, babe, and I used the pack. I got to preach in four hours, honey. Like, you, you got to. And um, thankfully, uh, she, she did it. But um, uh, she got to use her new vacuum cleaner, though, to clean up the whole, the whole mess. I just want her to see how it works. Um, but, but there was this natural, like, you want to get frustrated. Let's be honest. You want to get frustrated, you, you're the spouse, you want to start arguing, you want to get frustrated with the kid, the three-year-old knows better not to eat cheese because they throw up every single time. And there's just natural frustration. And in that moment, as a father, as a man, as a leader, I really have to make a choice, right? There's a choice I have to make to say, am I in this moment when I don't want to going to display the character of, my God, my, uh, of God to my family who so desperately needs it? There's a choice to be made. My fear for Christians is that for some of you, you think it's much easier just to live in sin. But let me tell you something. There is pain in sanctification to look like Christ because what happens is normally the old you is stripping away. But there is pain when you choose not to be sanctified and walk with Christ because there are just different consequences. You're going to have pain either way. There is always pain attached to sanctification. 
And what Paul is saying here is, here's what he's saying. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body. What is he saying? Christian, fight. Stop complaining and fight. Fight, fight, fight. Just the way you fought to sin, fight to get out of sin. And stop complaining, but fight. How can you win this fight? Because you have the most powerful thing in Christ residing in you to give you the power and authority to conquer and defeat any sin that you are struggling with. The problem is we don't believe it. We don't believe it. It's much easier to live in that sin than to part ways with that sin and divorce it. This is exactly why. Sometimes you can meet some really mean Christians. You ever meet some mean, judgmental, critical, legalistic Christians that just want to keep you away? Anybody know what I'm talking about? They just, they judge everything. They don't have the spirit of joy. They're just so angry and mean and they think they are the fruit inspectors. They got to chase you down and tell you when you are wrong. Then they feel right for telling you that you are wrong, not knowing they are wrong for telling you you are wrong. Does that make sense to anybody? They're just full of legalism. The truth is, what's sad, even about mature Christians, is that they sometimes just stop fighting. They stop fighting. They stop fighting to reflect Christ. They can't bite their tongue, and they don't stop it. And then there's some who just think, I'm going to be forgiven anyway. Let me just say what I want to say about people. Let me just live how I want to live. Let me look at what I want to look at. Not recognizing the consequences that are attached to that are great, and they're damaging not only to you, but to others around you. They're great, and they last for years. Some of you are still dealing with daddy wounds and mommy wounds and people that hurt you, and this has been 35 years later because sin has strong, great effects, and it's hard, and it hurts, and it's painful. But what Paul is saying is almost this yearning. He's saying, fight, fight. Fight not to say the things you think you should say. Stop it. You're hurting people. Fight not to look at the things you shouldn't be looking at. And look what he goes on to say. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. What members of instruments? He's talking about your sin. He's talking about your senses, your body, your hands. Stop touching things you shouldn't be touching. Your eyes. Stop looking at things you shouldn't be looking at. Your ears. Stop letting people come to you and tear down another person and shut that down. What kind of Christian do you want to be? You know what's interesting? Even for those students who are at GCU, it's a Christian university. You will find it unbelievably difficult to live for Christ amongst Christians these days. And it's no different in the church. How bad do you want to be transformed into the image of God? Aren't you tired of that sin ruling you? Aren't you exhausted of the guilt and shame? Aren't you tired of it? And here's what he says. Don't present your body like this for instruments of unrighteousness. God has not given us freedom so that we can just keep sinning. In fact, grace is really a rope that's thrown at us. We're in the bottom of the pit to reach out. It doesn't make any sense for us to keep jumping into the pit because we expect the rope to come down right after. Here's what he's saying. He's, Stop it. But present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life 
and your members to God as instruments for righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. Let me break this down and we're done. One, regeneration. Before I was a Christian, I'd go to different events, and I promise you, I raised my hand to get saved about 15 times, and nothing ever changed. Because all I wanted was an insurance card, a get-out-of-hell-free card. Can I be honest? My lifestyle did not change. I raised my hand. I said a prayer. Nothing changed. My path was still headed straight to hell. I'm just being honest. And I'm going to plead with you, for some of you in here today that have just raised your hand and you've said a prayer and nothing has changed, it's impossible to walk with Christ and have nothing changed. Impossible. I don't mean to scare you, but I have to at least tell you it's absolutely impossible. In fact, if you're here today and you're starting to sweat, thinking, oh, no, what does that mean for me? Am I saved or am I not saved? Here's what I would do if I were you. If you are not saved, here's the way I look at it. You are completely dead. Completely dead. Dead. Ephesians chapter 2 said you are dead in your trespasses. A dead person can't revive themselves. Do you recognize that? And if you feel a tugging on your heart, it is the grace of God's goodness pulling you towards him. So he's trying to revive you, respond. So there's regeneration. There's justification. Just as if you've never sinned. There's glorification. Not yet one day. There's sanctification. Life is going to stink for a little bit because God is going to work on you to look like him and his son. And it's going to be hard. It's going to mean changing some habits. It's going to mean breaking off some relationships. It's going to mean a lot of stuff for you. But what does sanctification mean? To put you back to your original intent and why you were created. That is his goal here. Sanctification Then comes the transformation. After all these steps, you should look different. You shouldn't look the same. You just shouldn't. None of you should see me smoking pot anymore, okay? Sorry if that offends you, but I'm a different person. I've changed my life. Only through the power of Christ, I couldn't do it on my own. I just couldn't. And for some reason, his grace... He called my name, my dead nature. He resurrected me. For some reason, he did. So here's my challenge for you. For the person in here who you've saying, listen, I don't know where I am. I don't know if I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I don't know why I need Christ. Here's why I'll tell you you need Christ. Because in Genesis chapter 3, Adam sinned. When he sinned, it caused everyone, it's called inherited sin. So that when we are born, we are born a sin nature. So we are now sinful people. Adam introduced the sin. Moses exposed it through the law. Jesus conquered it. You hear what I'm saying? Adam introduced sin. Sorry, it is what it is. Moses, through the law, exposed the sin, which showed us our great need. Jesus conquered it. Adam sinned. He introduced it. Moses exposed it. Jesus conquered it. Adam introduced it. Moses exposed it. Jesus conquered it. You cannot conquer sin. And if your sin is not conquered... You will not be in glorification with Jesus. There will will not be a resurrection for you. 
That's why this is so important. And for the Christian in here, when you've been walking with Christ, I will ask you this. When is the last time you have fought to control the members of your body? When? When is the last time? And I stink at this. I'm just going to be honest. I told my staff as I was studying, it's like I sometimes just stop fighting. You know what I'm saying? I'm just tired of fighting sometimes. And I stop fighting. But church, Paul through the Holy Spirit, is calling us to fight, to fight, to fight, to fight, to fight. What will you choose today? You choose to lay down and keep being defeated and ruled by sin, or will you fight? I want us to pray together.